Welcome to Food and Loathing, a podcast full of people who are willing to eat just about anything. Although I, for one, have never tasted panther. <laughs> I think that's about to change. Got my tickets for game five. I'm ready to go. Yes, I love it. Oh, uh, that panther. <laughs> I am your host, your buddy, your pal. And just like your worried mother, the person who is always upset that you may not be eating right, my name is Al Mancini. <laughs> my co-host, bring the brains and the beauty to Aww. the team, is offthestrip.com writer Samantha Gemini-Stevens. Hello, Gemini. How are you doing? And more importantly, perhaps, how's your puppy dog She's doing? She's good. She's good. Uh, yeah, we found out that uh, digging through something, she decided to try and eat a duck feather because they've been landing in the pool lately. Mm. And so it caused some issues, And uh, but I think we're all good now. Okay. Cool. Well, we did miss you last week, so <laughs> oh, I welcome you guys. back. Thank you. And finally, the engineer who makes sure my voice sounds clear, he's a bit of a foodie, but he ain't so snooty, Mr. Rich Johnson. All those years of uh, in press boxes where press writers only have two food groups free and fried yes that's me that's my legacy it's amazing what people will eat when it's free true the, story the reaction to free food is just oh, the most bizarre I... thing about office culture I think God, in the world. Yes. pizzas pizzas oh yes God, I want oh more pizzas God. there's oh, a cake God. in the break room God. donuts yeah Jesus God. oh man so um, welcome everyone to the Food and Loathing podcast we have a great show planned for you today Later in the episode, I will be talking to the founder of the community-driven pop-up restaurant Astoria, which is focused on the exploration of Filipino culture and cuisine through storytelling. And we'll have some news for you on what Jolene Menina has planned after the Vegas Test Kitchen. But look, before we get into any of that, we like to tell you about the places we've been dining. These aren't quite restaurant reviews, but they're the closest that we get to that format. And we like to think they're a lot more informed and I guess, educated <laughs> than what you'll find in those crowdsourced restaurant review sites. Have you met me? Uh, <laughs> even Rich is more educated and informed than the average Yelper, I would say. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we've heard from you, Gemini, so I'm going to let you do most of the talking here. Where have you been eating? Recently, I visited a few places I want to remind you about. I got to go to French Cellar by Partage on Sahara near Buffalo. Um, we were members there last year, loved everything they do. We decided not to renew this year, not because it's not amazing, it is. We just didn't go enough. So you get discounts when you're a member, you get wine every month, and we just weren't drinking the wine that fast, We just, all of it. But they're still amazing, and they are open to the public. So you can still go in, get a glass, get a bottle, get some snacks. So it's not like the Costco snobby thing. Not right? at all. <laughs> all your friends look at yeah. you like, you're not a Costco member? Right. No, yeah. not at all. Not at all. Um, and they have a fantastic selection of French wines. They have some lovely snacks, including escargot. They've got cheese plates and... And smoked salmon and things like that. Uh, if you want full dining menus, of course, you have to go to Partage or Grand Cru by Partage. Those are both on Spring Mountain near Arville. But getting into the French cellar, I went there for a meeting, a couple glasses of wine, a couple of snacks. It was just a really relaxing place to kind of hang out for a minute. Um, so definitely want to give them a shout out and say thank you for everything they've done. 
Um, I got to go to Echo and Rig Happy Hour. I haven't done Ooh. that in a long mm. time. I went which, to the, which location? I went to the one in Tivoli on Rampart and Elta. And we went because somebody that we know had gotten a job promotion. And uh, they don't usually take reservations. But with a large group, they will entertain your phone call. Mm-hmm. There was nine of us. So they entertained our phone call. Right. Um but you go in, some of the drink specials are as low as $3 for a cocktail. Wines can be as little as $5 a glass. Butchery quality, hot dogs. You can even get steak and eggs for happy hour. Uh, it's first come, first serve, like I said. So usually you want to go in right when they open, which um, I think is 3 p.m. Um, I called and checked the website, and I got two different things. One was 2.30, one was 3. So just kind of double check before you go in. But not a bad way to cut out of work early and start your evening with happy hour at that early in the day. And then grab a couple of ribeyes to go. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I want to make a point about the steak and eggs because we've talked about the Green Valley location and how their burger always changes because they take the extra bits from steaks that get cut and they blend those into whatever the burger of the day is going to be. Well, they do the sort of something similar for the steak and eggs for the happy hour in Tivoli. So everybody who ordered the steak and egg for a happy hour dish, you get a single egg and you get a a couple of bites of steak and they're all different cuts. And it just kind of depends on what's available. They're all perfectly cooked, perfectly seasoned. Uh, You make a meal out of it for sure. Um, just a quick mention. I know you probably mentioned it last week while I wasn't here. We had so much fun at Picnic in the Alley. Oh, yeah. All the we food, all time. the drinks. So I just had to, to tell everybody how much fun we had while we were there. Um, she says we probably mentioned it. That means she doesn't listen to the show. Oh, she's yeah. Not well, well, I do. It, I don't have listen. a very good memory. I have a memory like Dory. So <laughs> Noted in your personnel file. <laughs> Uh, I have to mention also, again, the amazing butchers over at Featherblade. Sort of last minute, some friends were coming into town to celebrate a birthday. And one of my favorite things to tell people when I just don't have the spoons to do a party for somebody is, look, I'll give you the venue, but I'm not the menu. So if you want to bring in the food or something like that, fine. I've got a great big house with a great big backyard. Let's have some fun. So I did acquiesce a little bit and I did put some legs of lamb on the rotisseries in the backyard over nice charcoal for most of the day. Um, you had a crazy cake at a party at your house. We did. I will I bring that up. Sure. Why didn't I get invited to that yeah. party? <laughs> so uh, Tuesday was the leg of lamb. Uh, shout out to Rock Sugar Custom Cakes. Mm-hmm. On Friday, uh, we I don't remember who it was, but one of my girlfriends had tacos brought in um, for the dinner. And it was one of my very best friend's birthdays. Um, he was my flower girl when I got married. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so there's this kink history in our lives, mm-hmm. and so we went to I Rock like anybody Sugar. Anybody who's got a kink history in their lives that they're absolutely, to talk about. absolutely, I mean, we all have one. But I have a tattoo that yes, sir, I have that tattoo because <laughs> oh, of him. My. So um, yeah, we got him a cake, or rather, his girlfriend ordered him a cake from Rock Sugar Custom Cakes. Christy is amazing; she can make anything. Um, speaking, and what was it? It was the lower part of a body, <laughs> so it was basically the stomach and hips and pelvis of a young lady in very lacy panties, wearing all of the rope and the harnesses, and there were <laughs> wooden toys for spanking, and it was all edible, and it was the just S&M insane. Mm. So oh. if you want to go find pictures of that and uh, find out more of uh, Christy's work at Rock Sugar Custom Cakes, just go to Wishbone and Vine on Instagram. You'll find the photo, I promise you. (laughs) And you can click through (laughs) from there. 
Um, one night, you know, I didn't want a big date night, but I wanted to just get out for a minute. So we went to Sparrow and Wolf, sat down, had a bunch of the new cocktails, fantastic menu. They're always so good at it. Great mocktail they're doing over great. there right now. Um, they do a lot of great doing, mocktails. They're making it with um with the leftovers from their pea pods. Yes. Grinding it up. And yes. Yeah, they're, they're doing some cool And they do there. a lot of stuff with their orange peels as well. Like they make the oleo and they make the different things that they do from citrus. And they're really, really big on, on reuse and, and sustainable and not wasting anything. Mm-hmm. So definitely get in there. Um, and try those. That pea pod uh, mocktail is absolutely fantastic. Super refreshing in the heat of the day. So um, you got to have that. And then one other thing I did uh, is I went to Le Cafe du Vegas Green Valley location. So they call that one Cafe Duval. Mm-hmm. Guys, your names are confusing. <laughs> There's Cafe du Sud, which is south, which is in yeah. Southern Highlands. There's Cafe Duval on Horizon Ridge near Stephanie, which is where I was. And then there's another one called Cafe de Sac, and I'm not even sure what the location on that one is. So it just gets a little – somebody said, oh, have you ever been here? I said, no, I've never been to Cafe Duval. And then I walk in and go, oh, I have been here, just a different location right. with a different name. So – that's my rant. Okay. Um, Wasn't that much of a rant? No, uh, not really. Minor complaint. <clears throat> minor complaint. Uh, but it's super cute. Um, I ordered a cucumber sandwich on this really great grainy wheat bread um, full of other veg. It was not just cucumbers like tea sandwiches or something like that. Um, hibiscus tea. Everything was really refreshing, uh, fresh made. It took a minute to get our stuff, um, but really it was great. There was two of us there. We had two sandwiches, two drinks, and a lemon tart, and I think it was only around 40 bucks for the two of us. Um, and because it was us, we did add foie gras because we could. And it's a really <laughs> large portion. You get two huge torsions for about $30. Yeah. So a lot less than you would pay anywhere else in town and just seared off with some great toast points. So, you know, as much as I hate the naming convention, I do love the cafe. There you go. <laughs> okay. Rich, anything with fancy names that you've been dining at recently? Not, not even <laughs> close. I, I, I always try to the cafe balance this hot thing. Dogs. That's yeah. right. Do hot dogs. In fact, yes, Windy City Beef and Dogs. There I you gave, go. I gave them yeah. another chance. I, I kind of panned them couple months ago yeah here it was not a it did not speak to me but i said okay i'm gonna give it back a little chicago homage this is in the strip mall near the sprouts at uh, lake mead boulevard uh this time i got the same thing the italian beef because that there's hardly maybe five six places in the valley where you can get yeah italian beef yeah yeah. vegas uh and i got it to go so they gave me a nice well sealed container of the jus and i got the the jardinera on top and uh, uh, you know, I lived in Chicago for about two and a half years in the mid-90s. I had never heard of Italian beef until I went there, and then I lived on it <laughs> for a couple of years at Mr. Beef and Al's and these great places, and uh, it came through. It was uh, it was good. I, I They are back in my good Some places. redemption. Exactly. All right. I do not really have— a comeback story. I've yet had to have a <laughs> Chicago-style hot dog. I had a couple of those in Chicago. Again, when I was there, I, I discovered this yes. thing. And I respect it, but I'm it's just too much shit on there for me. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm Don't not need a drag I really like yeah. them, but yeah, it's a lot of stuff to yeah, try. Yeah, yeah. I'm a mustard, two parts mustard, one part ketchup. If there's onions around, put a few on. That's all I want on a ketchup. dog. And a game Rich. in front of me. Game dogs taste better <laughs> at the game. Chicago dogs are too bright for me. Yeah, it looks bright. Yeah, that in nature. That that neon <laughs> this is green coming relish. from the man with the neon mohawk. And <laughs> yeah, no, 
they're brighter than me, man. There's more colors yeah. in a Chicago hot dog than there are in my fucking Mohawk on a good day. Jeez. Just too much bright neon green. And yeah. Between the, the dill a, pickle sphere I get and it. the green um, relish, the relish. They do, it doesn't. I don't yeah. want that much green in my food. Yeah. It, makes, it scares me. It makes me think I'm eating a vegetable. Oh, God, no. Continuing my fast food uh, or sort of quick food, I got to Aloha Hawaiian Grill. That's a new spot in the tiny food court at the plaza. Used to be a sort of a bad version of uh what's the chinese chain uh no I'm, yeah can't think of yeah, it that's in every airport China go go no no that's panda in, panda, panda walk oh. yeah that they they killed that got rid of it and this is um nice it's sort of a chipotle like assembly line concept you choose your meat your size your sides type of rice they put it all together i had a short rib plate sticky rice and it comes with little nori flakes on top i'm told the garlic rice is very good my side was kimchi. You could also get mac and cheese, which I can never figure out why that's a side for anybody. Anyway, it was solid. It was good, good little other thing. Stuff end it. I guess. I don't know how authentically Hawaiian it is, but uh, next time I'll try the poke and and be and you know go full tourist Hawaiian there. Full tourist yeah, Hawaiian. Full Ninth Island. <laughs> and I was there. Laid. I was doing this when the plaza was opening its brand new non-smoking, video-friendly, music rights-friendly casino edition the separate room under what is going to be the terrace for oscars mm -hmm. and that opens all it all grand opening in a couple of weeks uh, this this casino about 70 slot machines video poker some automated table games but it steps away from the carousel bar and boy you want to talk about a hit soft opening for a week week and a half now well two is this drops and they are they got lines on main street oh for gosh. people getting to they have a little to-go Area, you know, the yeah. slushy drink thing, like across the street at that Golden Gate and the D and all those things. So they have a small of that. And then lots of video poker. They solved the glare issue with video poker. They found these little screens there that go. go on top. Also, the, the, the graphics are a little bigger than they are in the casino. It's a big screen. And then they got these. Well, we are all getting older. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so my question is does that, it, it's a carousel bar, but does it revolve? No, but the uh, horses are going to eventually go up and down like okay. a carousel. This, see, when I drove past it the other day, it wasn't revolving. Like no, it does not resolve. Disappointed in that. That that no, makes no. me sad. But it's it, it's revolve-esque. I mean, it looks right. like it should. It looks like it should, <clears throat> right? But yeah. if you want to be Hunter S. Thompson, <laughs> yeah, 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 then you really need for it to spin, yeah. or you need to take yeah. enough of something that you think it's spinning. But if you got a, you know, if you're part of a group of four and you want to just sit and still be outside. We'll see how it is when it's 110 outside, mm -hmm. but and watch stuff go by and and just enjoy yourself. They've got these nice booths curved around, perfect for four, and there's a lot of them. It's bigger than I thought. Awesome. Okay. So not much cooking at home. I've been working on the freezer stockpiles with the, my chili and beef stew from a few months ago, because <laughs> uh, you won't hear of much of me for a couple of weeks. I'm I'm heading out the door for a long odyssey, but I will pop up again in a couple of weeks on this podcast, and it'll be. From Paris. Okay, all ah. I gotta say is, if you're telling me about fucking Popeye's fried chicken in Paris, you're done. We're gonna be <laughs> now. Welcome back, <laughs> right? And now welcome back. If that's what we get no, from you, there are uh, there are there are a couple of things like that. I'm gonna try. Uh, 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 yeah, that's the first place. 1999, 98 was my first time over there, and it's when I discovered panini. Nobody here had panini, and I said, "All right, give me the sandwich." And she takes it and says, "Well, yeah, give me the sandwich." No, 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 no. And she sticks it on the thing for five <laughs> minutes, and all of a sudden. The nice-looking sandwich is an awesome sandwich, That's and it's right. hot and sticky and gooey, and it's <laughs> wonderful. So I plan on having a few of those. And then there's this grocery chain 
Monoprix, I believe it is. They're small. They're like the size of a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing but uh, waist-high chest freezers. And apparently, they've been going grape guns for 30, 40 years. Okay. And they're all over France and get everything super flash freeze uh, frozen and take it home and make it. I so can I'll also try that. give you the name of some Michelin restaurants over there. I have no money that. for this trip. So <laughs> it's going to be bistro time in the 16th for me as much as I can. I, I, dude, man, if there's ever a place that I would feel okay going with no money and wanting to eat well, I'm guessing Paris. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I haven't been myself, but I'm thinking I could do it. No. Anyway, so I guess that brings me to little old me. Not a lot for me this week, um, just based on the timing of when we recorded these episodes, but I do have a few. Um, you know, when I can't be in the Fortress, a.k.a. T-Mobile Arena, during playoff season, my favorite spot to watch a game is definitely the front yard at Ellis Island. Um, Sue and I were there with our friends Leanne and John, who also share our season tickets, to witness a rather disappointing mm-hmm. um, game against the Stars this past weekend. But we are never disappointed in the food. And it's, it's, I just, I really, really, I love Ellis mm-hmm. Island. I love what they do at the front yard. This time around, we shared what they call a CBR flatbread. Very nice combination of citrus garlic sauce with bacon, shredded chicken, uh, pico de gallo, jalapeno cream. Um, really, really delicious. This is now the second flatbread I've enjoyed over there during games this playoff season. And um, I, yeah, I just, I like what they're doing. Um, I also really enjoy their beer brined wings. Yes. Yeah, very good, Oh my right? God, for, some of my favorite wings in town. Yeah, for dry wings wings they're really good mm-hmm. you know and they, they don't make your fingers that messy when you eat them either um the giant pretzel that john ordered did not disappoint then i guess yeah so that was about what we had over there and then we were eating might have been watching a game at home not sure but we've been seeing a lot of our friends post about um brooklyn's best pizza recently on social media they're right there at um as you come under the 15 on charleston um, for the one that I went at to was on Fort Apache at Hacienda. Okay. So cool. I went to that one. Oh. I don't know if this is the one that other people go to, um, but I heard some people talking about their Sicilian. Um, now, I don't normally, I usually get my Sicilian. I grew up eating Sicilian pizza in yeah. South Jersey um, from a bakery that made them. Um, here in Vegas, I do it at Metro. I love yep. it. I love Dom DeMarco's. Yes. First, they're Sicilian. I'll occasionally do good pie. So I decided, okay, everybody's posting on social media about Brooklyn's Best. They like the Sicilian. I will give it a shot. Oh, look, and this is what happens when we change our notes, and now suddenly, um, yeah, now you got my notes, and I got your notes. It's all yeah. sorts of a mess. I mean, I my can tell you off the top of my head. My printer won't keep the pages together, and I thought I had right gotten them in the right order, and I did not. I failed miserably. Not once, but twice. So I can tell you off the top of my head, now I have some notes in front of me. Sicilian just was not on par with the ones no. that I have had at those other three places that I really like. Um, now, again, a lot of this could just be preference. Some people might like this better than the place that I like. But the secret to me to a great Sicilian pizza should be the light and airy focaccia style crust. Yeah. And it's that, tall and crispy. Yeah, and... it's big and tall <laughs> and it's got air pockets yeah. in it. And it looks like it should weigh a thousand pounds, but then you go and try to lift it up and your arms go right above your head, especially if it's a Chris Decker Sicilian pizza because they're just so fucking light and they're so awesome. And that is not what was happening here. It was flat. It was dense. It almost appeared to have been a par-baked pizza, oh. right? Now, I'm not enough of an expert on pizza that I can tell you for a fact that's what they were doing, but that's what it reminded me of. So almost like partially baked in advance to the fact that it wasn't this light, airy, you know, crispy on the bottom, but light on the inside. It was more just like 
French bread kind of texture to it, yeah. right? And um, now I can't say for a fact that that's what they, that, it, that it was par baked, but based on you know, I'm not an expert on pizza. Par baking is a is a making. science in and of itself, and I just I'm just not a fan. Yeah, and Ew. again, you, I'm not I'm not a Jason Harris that I know. Every, you know, I can eat a pizza and tell you everything about it, but <laughs> there's just things going wrong here that were not right for me. Maybe they just didn't let the dough rise long enough. I mean, it could have been something as simple as that, but they weren't hitting it. The consistency, like I said, like a French bread or a dinner roll or something like that. Yeah. It's not necessarily bad, but it's not what I wanted. Also, other things, lesser complaints, but they didn't do it for me. Giant slices of pepperoni that, that were like the size of salami. You know, oh. everybody else is down going to the cup and char. Yeah, I right? love the cup and char. And this is like, these these were really, really big ones. Just didn't sit well with me. And large chunks of onion in the sauce that almost made it feel like a home sauce, like like a mom's sauce that has been on there forever. Yeah, but even forever. then, if it's been cooking forever, you're not going to get these huge. But yeah, but there were these just yeah. big chunks that were sitting in there. Um, Just, again, it wasn't a bad pizza. But I'm not ordering the Sicilian there again. I will go back. I'll try them again. But sorry is Brooklyn's best. Um, maybe I'll try your grandma pie next time. Uh, other things for me. Also went to shoot some darts at Flight Club in the Venetian. I have to say, man, their food menu was a lot better than I was expecting. Yeah. We did some of the sliders. I really like the meatball sliders. A uh, bit spicy for me, but okay. quite good. Um, and man, I loved their four cheese flatbread. And this is going to sound weird. But it kind of reminded me of a tart flambe, right? This, okay. I'm being just such a fucking snob here, right? With, this, um, with super, super thin, crisp crust and also a very sharp cheese on there and the four cheeses and just brought to mind like when I've had a really good tart flambe sometimes. Of course, it was with tomato base, um, you know, so most people would probably say it's nothing at all like that obsession <laughs> staple. Um, but, you know, that's where it took my head, and that's a good thing. Try one. Let me know if you even understand what the fuck I'm talking about if you try one. Um, but I, I, I would like to hear that. I've only been over there once. It was for a party. Somebody had ordered some of the snacks. Um, we had more of, like, finger food snacks, so I mm -hmm. can't compare that yet. But now I'm going to go over there just to try it. Yeah, I, I, I would recommend <laughs> it. And actually, what a great space, man. I, I mean, liked it. All the computerized dartboards, but it's very very spacious, very spread mm -hmm. out. Looks like it's meant to be compartmentalized into rooms for private parties, right? Yeah. So whether you want to go with a, a 10 people for your birthday party or 500 people for a corporate event, you know, it looks like they could just you know, cordon wow. off the proper yep. space for you to do it in there. And, you know, the dart games are simple enough and basic enough that even if you don't know what you're doing, you could have fun playing. Throw darts, um, hit target. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's sort of like... I can't go to Top Golf and like try to do that because wow. I can't fucking hit a golf ball, you know. What I mean, but but darts, you know, I can play their computerized dart games yeah. and have a good time. And they and offer a lot of options, so even if you're not like a dart player, you can still just kind of hang out and have a good time. Exactly, and really well stocked bar. Yeah, um, some good tequilas up there, some really good whiskeys. Louis the Thirteenth. I mean, where else are you going to a dart bar where you can order Louis Trey? <laughs> I did not get it. If you any. are, somebody emptied the bottle and filled it with something else. Yeah, so, I mean, just cool, cool space, man. And that, that whole second floor above the Palazzo is really, you know, filling yeah. up with some cool stuff. So, you know, bravo to them for that. I will say I want better signage. We did a little bit of kind of looping around trying to find it the first few times, mm -hmm. and uh, that whole thing that, is a maze. I've been it, here four years, and I still get lost. Okay, good. In it's not Palazzo. just me. <laughs> still. All right. Am I in the Venetian or the Palazzo? Is this the Grand Canal shops? <laughs> is this the other shops? I. Ah, anyway, working on the strip every day for <laughs> yeah. twenty-three years. That'll do it. That's I'm fair. Get my okay. way around most casinos yeah, yeah. pretty easily. So more Italians coming to Paradise Road, and what the heck is fermentato? Find out in the news after Al gets the details on a new Filipino pop-up. This is Food and Loathing.
Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. Want more? Ah, uh, we got more. Find me every Thursday morning around 810 on The Club, AM 670 KMZQ. On TV, you can find me Mondays around 8.30 a.m. on Wake Up With The CW. And the Neon Feast updates happen all week long on all of the highway radio stations all over your FM dial. The Vibe, The Drive, Highway Country, or go to highwayradio.com. So, I came across a story in the Las Vegas Weekly not all that long ago. I believe it was written by Brock Radke, and I loved it. It was about this new kind of pop-up, Filipino pop-up by a filmmaker who uses it as a method to tell stories. Their most recent event was actually cool. the night before we're recording this at um, Vegas Test Kitchen, I believe. So, the, yeah, that's been sold out for a while. So, I've been sitting on this interview for a little while, but they will tell you all about how you can find out um, more about it when you listen to this. This is me sitting down with Walter Castillo, the um, the guy who founded Astoria. What is Astoria? And just give me the, the boilerplate for now, and then we'll dive deep into it. Yeah, so Astoria is a community-driven pop-up restaurant based in Las Vegas that's very much focused on the exploration of Filipino cuisine through storytelling. You are a pop-up organization, and what I've always heard is that you, you want to tell stories through your food. And that's what really attracted me to everything I've read about you so far. Because, you know, from, from my money, food is so much better when it has a story to go with it. And it doesn't have to be an in-depth one, but if you give people an experience to relate it to, um, that it means a lot. And it really enhances the meal. But you seem to be coming at it from the other angle. I look at it like, okay, if we're going to feed people or if you're going to feed me, give me a story to go with it. But you come to it as a storyteller because you're a filmmaker to start, right? That's correct. So I actually come from a journalism background. So prior to uh, working at Amazon as an associate creative director, um, I was working as a journalist at USA Today over in D.C. And so I was doing that for about five years. I went to journalism, journalism school at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So journalism and storytelling has always been embedded with my mission. Um, I am passionate about wanting um, to give a voice uh, to others. And so, you know, being able to provide that sort of platform um, is really what tugs on, on my heartstrings of why I do what I do. Um, with Astoria, I've been able to take my passion for storytelling and combine that with my love for Filipino food and culture. Um, the reason why I started Astoria was because as a second generation Filipino American, uh, my parents immigrated from the Philippines to the U.S. in the 1970s. And so growing up, I have always felt disconnected by my own Filipino identity. And so for me, going to the motherland in the Philippines, I felt even more alienated, actually, because I come at it from uh, the accent as an American. And so when I came back from the Philippines back in June of last year, I wanted to create something that would allow me to connect those disconnected. Um, so what better way to do that than to approach it through storytelling with the focus of learning about our origin stories. Maybe then I can bring Filipinos and Filipino-Americans who may feel disconnected um, to be proud of where they come from. So for me, it's really about 
you know, focusing on my own roots and my identity, but I invite everyone to partake in this joy. I feel like it's an educational journey. Um, and I just want to invite everyone, Filipinos, Filipino-Americans, non-Filipinos, um, to, to celebrate and learn um, what the Philippines is all about. So your thought is, I guess, then, that if, if you have stories you want to tell about the Philippines, it's better to do it by introducing the food that will illustrate it. So is the food kind of the illustrations that go along with these stories you want to tell? For sure. So um, what's very interesting is that um, a lot of the Filipino restaurants that you see specifically here in Vegas, um, a lot of that is is very much in the traditional sort of focus. So you're going to see chicken adobo. You're going to see lumpia Shanghai. For those who don't know, chicken adobo is one of our staple dishes. Um, you know, adobo, um, similar to Spanish, or lumpia Shanghai. It's almost like egg rolls in Filipino cuisine. Why is that? The Philippines in itself is a melange of so many different cultures and influences and settlements. Um, the Philippines has had a 300-year-long Spanish colonization that then resulted in, in a 40-plus or approximately uh, year-long colonization of the U.S. And so through that, we also see an influence from Japanese, uh, from Chinese, from Arab, Malay, Polynesian. And so what is the Philippines um, in its natural state? So I'm working with culinary historians from the Philippines to be able to cross-authenticate and validate what we're doing. And so through those conversations, I'm able to take, literally take uh, from island to table to present these stories uh, to people's, um, you know, dinners. And so whenever a certain dish comes to your table after you order, um, my staff is very much trained in wanting to tell that story. They're going to be there. They're going to take some time to tell you about the history. They're going to tell you about how pre-colonial Filipinos used to cook, used to forage, used to um, gather for their family. Um, and one of the dishes that we have, which I'm more than happy to, to elaborate further, is kamayan. Kamayan, um, for those who are just hearing it for the first time, kamayan is... Um, translated to eat with your hands. So one of the stories that we have on one of our dishes is, you know, how did a pre-colonial Filipino um, individual forage food from the jungles to gather um, these ingredients for their family at home? And so what we're doing is expressing kamayan, but also through the food that you see on the table, but through the written as well. In addition, uh, what's really cool about just the way that we've been able to infuse storytelling is our usage of uh, digital media, right? Um, Al, I'm, I'm sure, you know, with your background in multimedia and you doing the podcast right now, there's so many ways that we can really promote storytelling through the way of multimedia. And so not only is there video, not only is there photo, but there is the written. So when you scan our menu, you're going to be presented with a QR code that you can then scan. My team has drafted and created uh, first-person point-of-view renditions or stories on what it was like to be in that environment um, while people wait for their food. So it's sort of that nugget, right? It's like, oh wait, I can learn more about my food. Swipe. Swipe. And it's literally learning about how someone from way back when would, would do that. So were these, you talk about feeling disconnected from your community. So I'm wondering, are the stories that you're telling here, are these stories that you're just learning yourself and then passing them on? Or are these stories you were raised with and knew and just want to preserve? That's a really great question. So Historia, uh, in, its, in its very essence, the name, uh, it means story, right? And so 
it's it's really un- unique, and I say that because Historia um, is actually a, a word not in Tagalog, which is the um, the national language of the Philippines, but it comes from my dialect, um, where my parents are from. My mom is from Mindanao, my dad's from the Visayas, and then you know the third region that people are very much familiar with is uh, Luzon. That's where Manila is. That's where Tagalog is very much present. But for those on the southern islands of the Philippines, they speak a different dialect. It's called Bisaya. Um, and so, Historia uh, is like that secondary term that people who speak Tagalog use. Uh, they, story for them is actually translated to Cuento. That's the primary term that they use. But I'm really harking back to my roots as a Bisayan, right? It's, it's Historia. And so, um, through... M- where my parents are from, I really wanted to focus on that. And also that's, that's sort of why you also see another dish on our, on our menu, Pyongang Cornish Hen. And so the Pyongang was actually a dish. Um, it's inspired by the conversations that we had with our historians in a way where pre-colonial Filipinos were very efficient with the way that they cooked. And so even when the fire was out, they would use the charcoal and the ash um, to turn that into activated charcoal for marinade. And so what's really cool is that we've been able to use activated charcoal powder to essentially um, sort of um, combine that with Cornish hen, uh, which we're able to serve to uh, guests there. And what's really cool is you don't typically see that at a traditional Filipino restaurant. Um, That's certainly a dish that you may only see in the Philippines, which is so cool. Um, But as we're learning about these stories, as we're seeing these dishes, I'm learning about it for the first time, too. And I'm looking at it with a fresh pair of eyes, um, which is so cool because I, I think through my ability to tell stories, I've learned um, that there is a through line way of the approach to telling stories that matter, that have impact. And so through my skill set, I'm able to take what I learn and introduce it in a way that makes it exciting uh, for people who may not know Filipino food or culture at all. And, and there is a big difference between whether it's someone who's an author, a filmmaker, any kind of storyteller out there. There's a difference between those of us who are discovering the story and taking the viewer, reader, listener, diner, whatever, along for the ride with us as we're learning it, and someone who is just so much of an expert on something that they're just going to educate you, a professor of something of that nature. But I think it, it feels a bit more personal when... I can see the excitement in the eyes of the person who is teaching me this story because it is relatively new to them and it is still new and exciting to them. No, for sure. I, I 100% agree. And, and you know what? Like, we're not calling ourselves experts by uh, any means. I think for us, we're just messaging. We're, we're messengers, rather. Um, we are the ones that are working with um, the experts in their fields, like the culinary historians. Uh, we're working with... Um, people in their respective fields uh, in the culinary industry. And so what we're here to do is really relay their messages to our guests. Um, We're learning the same time you are. We're seeing it for the first time the way you're seeing it for the first time. And so we're just a passionate group of individuals who want to create something for the community here. Knowing that Vegas has, what, 53% of Asians are Filipino. That's 200,000 plus Filipinos here in the valley that's that's crazy and so when i first moved here like a year and a half ago i was starstruck by just the amount of filipinos um just 
the population here because I clearly didn't see that uh, from my hometown when I used to live in Chicago or being in D.C. It's the complete opposite. Um, so it's, it's obvious to anybody who's just been around Las Vegas that there is a, a large Filipino community. Um, I've always found that there's not a lot of Filipino cuisine available, but maybe I'm just not finding the right places. I don't know. I mean, one of the, one of the better food writers when I started writing about food in this town was Filipino. And I would ask her, you know, where do you go? And she's like, nowhere in this town, you know? So, um, you, you were obviously, as you said, you were impressed with how large the community was. What was your impression of the food that was available to that community when you first got here? Yeah. So I would say that there are an abundant, um, there, there's an abundant sort of selection of different Filipino restaurants, but a lot of them focus on the traditional. Um, a lot of your um, established Filipino dishes like lumpia Shanghai, like chicken adobo, like sisig, lechon, uh, pancit. And lechon is something that you see every... I mean, it, it's, if you were to tell me, name one Filipino you know, dish, that would be about it, right? And you've got that even on um, at Resorts World. You'll see that in their food court, right? I mean, that's how mainstream it has kind of become. But I don't see anything else very often. Yeah, and all of those dishes that I just named, none of them are on the Astoria menu, which is so fascinating because what we're trying to do is break the, the typical sort of stereotypical sort of notion that, you know, there are foods beyond what you see. Um, they call them pika-pika, which is like pick and choose. Um, so the traditional pika-pika restaurants here in, in Las Vegas, um, you're going to go to Seafood City and you're going to see like different kinds of foods as well. You're going to see these bunch of... Um, these mom and pop stores, especially serving foods that maybe, um, maybe it, it, essentially uh, regional to, to, to where they were uh, when they grew up or where their parents were. But quintessentially, I think we're starting to find Vegas in a sort of new setting where, well, just overall in the U.S., I think we're starting to see a lot of Filipino-American chefs, Filipino chefs be inspired by the ingredients, the styles, the culinary techniques that they've learned in their own sort of um, culinary schooling and education and applying that to a world that is Filipino. And so uh, some Filipino chefs that I've spoken to, they were like, yeah, I never thought about, you know, creating a fine dining experience with Filipino food because as it is, it's, 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 um, it mainly traditionally hasn't been that. But we're starting to see the growth um, I wouldn't say like it's evolving, um, but we're seeing more and more people being so inspired by what they've seen and, and their experiences that that is a catalyst to seeing something new that hasn't been essentially brought here. I think for a lot of it, um, there, I, for me, the only um, other Filipino pop-up restaurant or restaurant that um, did a prefix menu was Makatas, and that was a, a pop-up restaurant that Jolene from Vegas Test Kitchen, shout out Jolene, you've been amazing, um, but uh, she helped Makatas um, sort of serve their own prefix menu to Vegas residents um, way back when, last year. Was that over at um, Green Street Kitchen? Yeah, at the Palms. Yeah. At the Palms. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do remember that, and that was a great meal, and I was at that meal or one of the nights for that. Um, okay, so I, I could pick your brain all day about great, you know, good places to go for Filipino food, but let's talk about a story. How many people other than you are involved with this group? You know, how's it organized, and how frequently do you do pop-ups? 
So right now, with the way that it's set up, it's uh, once a month. Um, in the future, we are hoping to do it more frequently. Um, just to give you a bit of background on sort of where Astoria started, we organized the first Filipino night market in Las Vegas back in October at the Space. And so that was amazing because that was our first stint of introducing pre-colonial Filipino-inspired foods to the community. Um, but we did it in the biggest way possible. So we thought there would be like, what, 150 to 200 attendees at this festival. But no, we ended up having 800 plus people in attendance at the space. And Congresswoman Dina Titus, um, Vanessa Hutchins' mom, Tita Josie's mom. Uh, we had the Filipino Flash, Nonito Donaire, and just a bunch of other government officials, politicians, and influencers in the Filipino community be present there. And it was just exciting to be in that. Um, our team was super passionate about you know, seeing the impact that we made on the community that it was really challenging for us to not continue, right? And so that's why you're, you know, it took a few months to get there, but uh, from October all the way until February, February was when we started the Origins sort of pop-up installment, and that is mainly focused on uh, pre-colonial, right? And so what we sort of see there native to the Philippines. Um, in terms of the team and the way that it's set up, um, I'm going to be blunt with you. I can't cook well. <laughs> okay. I, I'm definitely not the, the cook. I'm not the chef. But I have a vision. And I, I love bringing uh, a team together that is so passionate. And I like to empower people uh, and provide the resources that allow them to be happy with the work they put in day in, day out. Day out. Um, we understand that we are in a brick and mortar and we are a pop-up. So it's very much a passion project that's very much instilled within each and every one of us. Um, but the way that it's set up, we have Chef Catherine Carlucci, Chef Cat. She is phenomenal and so talented at what she does. She was the former executive sous chef at Momofuku for a few years, and she's also done a few Filipino pop-ups in her time across California. So when she stepped down from her role because she wanted to take care of her family, the stars aligned, and so she is now working with Astoria full-time. Um, we also work with culinary historians from the Philippines. So as I'd mentioned earlier, we do monthly calls with our historian, um, which has been a blessing um, to be able to continue to learn and apply those changes to our menu. Um, we have an operations team, so Ronnelly, Ramon. Um, and then aside from that, we also have such an amazing team of storytellers. Um, if you're familiar with banana ketchup by any chance. Um, so... If you go to Jollibee, for instance, you can order uh, Filipino spaghetti, but you'll notice that the Filipino spaghetti is much sweeter. Why? It actually uses banana ketchup. Um, one of my team members on our team, her name is Nicole Alexa uh, Arosa. Um, Arosa is such a um, recognizable name in the Filipino community because her tita was the person who created and invented banana ketchup. Um, when the U.S. colonized the Philippines, they introduced ketchup, but because um, tomatoes couldn't uh, grow due to the humidity, they would oftentimes wither and die. And so when she uh, came to the Philippines in the early 1900s, um, she thought, is there a way to substitute tomatoes in ketchup with something that's plentiful and abundant in the Philippines? So she substituted it with, um, with bananas. And so... From here on out, you know, banana ketchup like grew and amassed itself in something uh, Filipinos just were drawn to. And so her uh, grand aunt, her tita, is, you know, she's on our team. Um, and she like is very proud of her ancestral history. And so 
you know, going off of that, you know, she's on the editorial side, so she's very excited about writing these key stories about how pre-colonial Filipinos would gather forage way back when. But we have um, a full um, front of house and back of house staff that comes regularly um, on a once per month basis. Um, and it's really like Chef Kat, myself, our operations team, finding people that we've worked with uh, to be able to work in that space. So on certain occasions, you're going to find like a, a Momofuku person um, working in the back of house, or you're going to find someone working at a five-star restaurant, working as a server, uh, who will dedicate their time front of house. And, you know, I'm just blessed with the diversity because not only are we, um, not only is the team, like, sorry, just going back to that, the team isn't all Filipino. We all come from different walks of life. And that's what I'm excited about is being able to highlight the diversity and the passion of our team, um, we have Filipinos who felt so disconnected that they didn't even know um, what dishes um, were present. And this is their way of rekindling their connection to their origin story. So it's exciting. We have storytellers, video strategists. We have um, social media strategists. I think it's, it's funny because, uh, sorry to belabor this, it's, I think what you're going to find unique is that because I've worked in a space where I know what it takes to to do a campaign on the on the digital marketing side. I'm building my team in the way that I, I know what it would take to tell a story at USA Today, at Amazon. But also I'm building a team with Chef Cat and learning what it takes to build a team on the restaurant side. So we're seeing two teams together come as one. And I think you you see the importance with being able to bridge both because oftentimes a lot of chefs um, are owning and founding their own restaurant, but they might not necessarily have uh, the digital marketing experience. So I'm, I'm able to take the blessings of both worlds and put them together as one. Okay, yeah, don't get me started on digital marketing. I had a day today with my meta page. Um, so what do you have coming up? Uh, I know you, you have, you're generally, you're sold out like as soon as I hear about your events. And I think your next one is already sold out. But let's talk a little bit about it and how people can get on a mailing list so that they can get in before future events get sold out. Yeah, so in order to get on our mailing list, just head over to historialv.com and subscribe. Um, for those subscribed to our newsletter, that's the fastest way that you're going to get notified about our pop-up events. Um, our next one is going to be on June 29th, so feel free to subscribe to our newsletter. Um, we typically are very active on our Instagram and Facebook sort of social media platforms, so feel free to follow us there at LV or on Facebook LV. And so that'll get you looped into you know, how you can get uh, notified about our pop-ups, um, through subscribing. Now, the one on the 29th, that's the next one that will have tickets still available for it, right? But you have others coming up that are that are already on the books, right? You're going back into Vegas Test Kitchen, I guess is what I'm getting at, because I know that's where you were last time. So the, the next pop-up dinner will be on May 30th, and that'll be at Vegas Test Kitchen before they flutter their doors, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but uh, tickets are uh, completely booked for that. But if you wanted to get on the wait list, you can, in fact, email historialv at gmail.com and just say, um, just express that you want to be on the wait list and we'll get you on that list. Um, so if you come in and let's say someone cancels, we're going to get you a seat in that, in that space. 
Um, where will they be now that Vegas Test Kitchen, unfortunately, is going away, which was one of the best spots in Vegas to do pop-ups? So um, where's the next one at the end of June going to be, and what other venues do you like to use? So at June 29th, it's going to be at Neupitz Grill. Neupitz is based in Town Square, so it's like right under AMC. There's like that uh, corner sort of restaurant across from... Uh, right underneath uh, Blue Martini and adjacent to Double Helix. So it's just right there. We're going to take a break for one or two months to then focus on our next chapter. So first chapter is, of course, pre-colonial Filipino, but the second is going to be a a Chinese-Filipino-inspired menu. So you're going to see a lot of the resulting sort of dishes that came when the Chinese traded with the Filipinos. Um... We're still looking for venues, so if anyone's out there that's willing to help Historia out um, and housing us for you know these next few pop-up dinners, like we love your support. And so, yeah, that's sort of the the future is yet to be written. We are all over social media. Just search for Food and Loathing or reach out directly. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. And where am I these days? What am I doing? Most important, what am I eating, cooking, and learning? Find out anytime at wishboneandvine.com. And one more time, that's info at foodandloathing.vegas. And my site, wishboneandvine.com. And that teletype sound means it is the official start of the news. And I can tell you that our good friend, Constantine Alexander at Batch Hospitality, recently posted an update from that company on his social media accounts. And he is reporting that they're just a few weeks away from submitting the construction plans for their new Italian concept, Bramare, which will be located on Paradise Road in that that big center over there that has cleaver and tacos and beer and all that stuff, you know, right across from Hughes Center. Um, Once those plans are submitted, there's a 90 to 120 day wait before they could start construction. And that's expected to last four to five months. So they are shooting for December, approximately opening this upscale modern Italian cocktail bar with a full kitchen and, quote, world-class style drinks, a sick Amaro and vermouth program, (laughs) and a proper and innovative wine program. So um, in the meantime... That's throwing down some words. I'm kind of impressed. (laughs) So you can visit Constantine over at Table 34, where he is just about every night. Um, That's another restaurant from Batch Hospitality. They just purchased that recently. Um, And check it out. He'll tell you more about that one. And as we prepare to celebrate the final day of the Vegas Test Kitchen this Saturday, I believe June 3rd, um, we get the word that Jolene Menina is teaming up with Jay Dapper to open a new restaurant commissary called Paladare, P-A-L-A-D-A-R-E, in the Mahoney's Building on Maryland Parkway and Bonneville in the Hunt Ridge area of downtown Las Vegas. The name is a reference to the underground restaurants that opened in Cuba during the Cuban Revolution. And uh, much like the Vegas Test Kitchen, this is expected to be a culinary incubator for chefs looking to test new ideas. No word yet on an opening date, but I know, Gemini, you always know what's going on with Joe. So do you have any inside I don't have any inside info to share yet, but as soon as I do. Okay. And along those same lines, I just received word about a new Test Kitchen-style project from the team at Ellis Island. It's called Fermentado, and they're already scheduled. They've already have some schedules for things that are going on. Um, the Secrets of Barbecue is going in there by Bob Dixon. Something called the Bo- the Noble Craft of Charcuterie. So these are going to be classes that they have on their calendar already. Cool. I'm in the process of trying to set up a tour of that one. So hopefully I'll have more info for you. Well, let me know. I want to go with you. 
Yeah, okay. I'll, I will. You know, speaking issue. of Vegas Test Kitchen, just a reminder, it is closing its doors today as the show drops. It's a Friday, so Saturday, June 3rd, with an epic foodie fest from 6 to 9 p.m. Those tickets are $40 per person and include all the food and one cocktail for those of drinking age. An open bar option is available for additional $30. Check out VegasTestKitchen.com for info and restrictions. And I'm going to be in New Jersey, but please give my love to everybody there. I will be in Chicago, but I am sending love all over the place already because I really want to be there so much. Um, And hey, did you know that Las Vegas has its very own tinned fish club? Why, no, I did not. Yeah. So, tinned fish, we're going to... Get into bigger interviews later on in the show, but uh, this weekend, Sunday, June 4th, from 4.30 to 6.30, if you would like an introduction as to tinned fish, what it is, how to eat it, what to pair it with, you don't think you can put fish with cheese, but they're going to teach you how. They're doing this class at Valley Cheese and Wine on Horizon Ridge in Henderson. You can find the information out on Tinned Fish Club LV on the socials and tinnedfishionado.com. Let me spell that. T-I-N-N-E-D-F-I-S-H-I-O-N-A-D-O.com for website, uh, their website for tickets, which can be purchased for $48 per person. I interviewed this week Erica Bell, Emily Baddock, and Chris Wilson, club founders, about the event, and they gave us this little snippet about the party happening on Sunday. Yeah, this was a really fun event for us to come up with. Um, It originated as a wine class that I taught with Diana at Valley Cheese, and we did sort of small pairings in the same idea, cheese, tins, wine natural wine, of course. Um, But we really wanted to elevate it, challenge that a little bit, come up with something new and uh, bring it to Tin Fish Club. So we started with all of the tins, first and foremost, that is the star of the show. Um, So Diana sells some tins, Chris, of course, sells some tins. So we started with some favorites there uh, and then sort of worked our way backwards. What what do we think would pair uh, from a cheese standpoint? What wine would really set this off? Um, And we really want to make sure that each component of the pairing is doing something interesting. So it's not just that your tin and your cheese go really well and then you just have a sip of wine, you know, whatever. Um, There are no throwaway options in any of these pairings. They're really thoughtful. We tried a lot of things to make this work. There was a lot of meticulous uh, note taking here. Um, But the event is going to be uh, set up in stations so folks can come into the shop. They'll go around to each table and they'll be introduced to a particular tin. They'll get the story, they'll try that tin on its own. Then they'll get to, of course, taste it with their cheese, with their wine. Uh, We'll talk about why it works, why it's amazing. Um, There will be some fun grazing tables for people to try some other tins that aren't necessarily focused on the pairings, but still delicious things that we want to share. Um, But the idea is to just challenge people's expectations a little bit. Um, We, you know, it is very traditional that cheese and fish don't necessarily pair, but uh, we don't think that's the case at all. We're really obsessed with all of these. In a separate sit-down, Diana Breyer of Valley Cheese and Wine adds her own comments about the party. It was very, like, educationally driven, but the point of it was to have fun and play. Yep. Um, And so I I really appreciate when I can meld those two. Uh, This Sunday, June 4th, we're doing a Tin Fish Natural Wines and Cheese pop-up event with the Tin Fish Club of Las Vegas, who are just, like, three brilliant humans who kick so much ass. I'm just stoked. Um, that they found each other and are involving me. We're doing that on Sunday, June 4th. We had taught a tinned fish and natural wine class, Emily Baddock and I have mm-hmm. all imports. She and I had taught a tinned fish, natural wine and cheese class before. And the pairings were just, I shocked myself. 
I make great <laughs> pairings. Like I really, I'm very confident in what I bring to the party. And I think that's one of the most, one of the most profound assertions I can make as a professional is that I am fucking good at making magic happen in your mouth. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to take that concept and bring it into a more, like a less uh, formal environment. They've been having a lot of success with their pop-ups. The Yukon Pizza pop-up sold out like before I could even get tickets. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to inviting people into that, again, a communal space where we can all just sort of like play around with, with interesting pairings. Additional interviews, again, with the Tin Fish Club LV and Diana Breyer of Valley Vine and Cheese will be coming up on this podcast in the next few weeks or All so. right. Is Tin Fish, I've been hearing about this for, for, you know, a few weeks now. Is that just a classier way of saying canned fish? That's exactly it is, what it is. <laughs> it is a way to make you sound like a snob when you want some canned fish. That's right. Yes, so. And, and you can charge more for it. And you can charge a lot of money for it, and it's just grown for more than your just simple yeah. kipper snacks or smoked oysters from the grocery store. Yeah. They've got special pâtés and special sauces, and they come from all over the world. And, so and they're not in tin because that would kill you. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well have lead fish. Leaded fish, yes. So definitely go check out uh, the Tin Fish Club party this week at Valley Cheese and Wine. Again, that's Sunday from 4.30 to 6.30. And uh, we'll have more information on this show uh, in the next few weeks. Okay, and that looks like that is about it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Um, looking over my notes, what else do I have to do? Nothing really. Thank, Thank all people. my friends. <laughs> Thank you, Walter. Um, that was fantastic for telling us all about Astoria. Thank you to Emily and um, everybody at the Tin Fish Club and Diana Breyer for talking to us about that. Thank you to Rich for doing all this and having us in his beautiful home. Thank you to Gemini for coming and saying smart things so nobody notices how stupid <laughs> that I sound. <laughs> With Samantha Gemini Stevens and Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry, people.